my room overlooks the 18th, uh, the fairway here. I'm literally on the on the cross path on 18 with a window cracked open, the shades pulled, and at 6:30, I, I thought I was I, I thought it was it was a half uh, state of dream and reality. I was woken to the call to the first tee of Paul Lowry from Scotland, uh, you know, and a nice round of applause. And that, and there it was the start of the 150th open championship. Put another log on the fire. Nobody here is getting tired. Hello, and welcome back to another Fire Drill podcast. This is Alan Shipnuck. Michael Bamberger is here in Scotland in the press room. Matt Janelle is here in Scotland in the Rusix Hotel. And um, it was the first rounds in the books, uh, 9.41 p.m. here. Uh, it's been an incredible day of golf. Let's, let's just get into it. Um, Michael, what did you see out there that, um, that caught your eye and, and just your thoughts on the day? Just a wild, wild range of scoring. Uh, you know, it's amazing to think that Cameron Young shot a 64 here. And, you know, you want to do some simple math and say, oh, 20 under is going to win this thing. I just never see that thing happening. But, you know, I want to come to the old course's defense. How about you guys? <laughs> Matt? I, 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 it's, it's just amazing to me how this looks like it's like the Himalayas where we're watching one big putting contest. I mean, with the exception of, of the occasional bunker shot, <laughs> this has been a big putt show. And it, it's, you know. Honestly, I'm I'm enjoying it. Yeah, I mean the course is playing incredibly short. I mean McElroy on uh, the 14th hole, par five. You know, it's 600 and something yards. He had a little wedge into it. I mean, it's just um, the ball doesn't stop rolling, but it's still not easy to get it close. I mean, because the greens are just as firm, and uh, the RNA had had some spicy flags out there where they used the the, the mounding and the the banks of the of the greens is defense, which I think is fine. And, um, and so I agree with what you're saying, Michael. I mean, it's uh, Rory's word was fiddly. I love that word. The Brits use it to describe like kind of a, uh, a course that you can't overpower. You have to, you have to finesse. And, uh, if you play perfect golf, like, like Cameron Young did, uh, ahead of the wind, then there, there's definitely a score out there, but I mean, three under was good for 10th place most of the day. And it's not like the entire field is going low. I mean, uh, if you play perfect golf, it's it's there for the taking. But um, the, the, there's definitely the, the course can bite back. And, and when and when you say that, Alan, when you look at this board and you got a lot of good golfers on this board, I don't see any of these guys doing a second day what they did today. For one reason, is it took six hours in the wind to play this thing. Nobody can be mentally strong enough, except for Jack Nicholas and Tiger Woods in their primes, to do that on back-to-back -back days. Maybe Rory to some degree, but I mean, it will wear you out to stand that long in the wind and try to play golf shots on a fiddly golf course. But by the way, we we started by saying the for round one is in the books. I'm I'm, I'm still seeing golfers play the 18th. Of this the round is still going. It's 9:44 p.m. local time, and it, golf is still being played without without any irony. I mean, and, it's, it's 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 still light out. <laughs> right, my my bad. I, and, I, and let's and let's and let us and let us and let us know without irony that Matt's wake up call today was. Uh, 
um, the call to the T at 635 of uh, Paul Laurie, you know, group number one now on the T, Paul Laurie and company. Yeah, that's uh, a great story, Matt. At 635 tell, tell this morning. Tell the, yeah. tell the readers about that for the listeners. Well, I mean, the I, I had I had one of the greatest 24 hours in my life as a professional in the golf industry, which, you know, ended with on the heels of an hour and a half worth of sleep. And my, I, my room overlooks the 18th, uh, the fairway here. I'm literally on the, on the cross path on 18 with a window cracked open, the shades pulled. And at six 30, I, I thought I was, I, I thought it was, it was a half uh, state of dream and reality. Mm-hmm. And my whole day, then my day had ended an hour and a half before with reflections of visiting old Tom's and young Tom's grave sites at the stroke of midnight uh, with a few former colleagues at golf channel after we jumped fences and scurried under fences and, and, and found their grave sites. And then an hour and a half after I fell asleep, I was woken to the call to the first tee of Paul Lurie from Scotland, uh, you know, and a nice round of applause and that and there it was the start of the 150th open championship and uh it was tremendous and i just sat there and with my eyes closed and listened to another couple groups go off until phil mickelson uh was called to see and then i had to get up out of bed and pull the shades open and watch him watch him stroll across the 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 crossway to you know a couple calls of let's go phil let's go phil and uh mm-hmm. and, and and they were off I um I wasn't out there, but from reading from reading some of the the press accounts and, and the transcript, it sounded like maybe Ian Poulter got got a little heckling or a smattering of booze. Um, did you happen to hear Poulter go off, Matt? I did. I, I I was listening to a wide variety of of players go off. I didn't hear any yeah. any booze. Just curious, I, I, and it just seemed that that just does not seem like this crowd at all. It's not to say it didn't happen. It would be, I was listening thinking, would there be something like that? I didn't hear anything like that at a dare manner and yeah. not, nothing to, audibly to the point where they could actually hear it. But anyway, if it happened, I didn't hear it. Interesting. All right. Just curious what, how it sounds from the fourth floor of the Rusak's hotel. So also Alan, he's very English. Well, yeah, I, I mean, that's go. not necessarily a good thing when you're playing in Scotland, but uh, we won't get into probably it, why into that, that would be more inclined to have the booze. <laughs> yeah, we, won't, we won't dredge up, you know, 15th century politics here on this podcast. But um, <laughs> so Cam Young goes out early. He's he's sort of the um, he's he, he throws a marker down. I mean, tip of the cap. I mean, the guy's probably going to be rookie of the year on tour. He's he's had um, some really good finishes. He, he made an, an awesome run. Um at at Southern Hills, so he he's a legit player, and not to say he can't hang around, but to me the the man of the hour, the toast of the town was Rory McIlroy. I mean, to shoot such an effortless sixty six, where he was almost never in trouble, and even even the one bogey he made, he was right in front of the green, and he said he got too cute with the chip and it took a bad bounce, and you know that happens, but he looked totally in control, not only of his golf ball but also his emotions. Uh, the crowd was very much on Rory's side. Um, you know, I think we've talked a lot already this week about how much this open means to the game of golf and, and how much it means to the players to, to win a, 
and open at St. Andrews. And you know, as Rory's become sort of the, the, this global ambassador for the sport and probably the most beloved figure in the game, I mean, everyone wants him to get this one. And you could just feel that energy in the crowd. I went out there and walked a bit. And, um, so let, let's talk about Rory. I mean, Michael, you followed him his whole career. Um, what did you see from him today? And can you put in context what this victory would mean if he can keep going? You know, I think it's a little bit like playing for uh, right now, not to turn this into a political discussion of another sort too quickly, but he is playing for traditional golfing values, you know, and not this upstart live golf league. And in that sense, it's a little bit like playing for your nation or your or your continent uh, in the Ryder Cup. And um, and that adds pressure. And we've seen the pressure that uh, just trying to win the Masters tournament um, uh, has on Rory and um I expect he's going to play, you know, three really good rounds of golf. But to get it done uh, all the way through uh, Sunday evening in the 72nd hole is a, no matter how good his golf is, no matter how strong his head is, it's a very, very tall challenge. Yeah, I yeah, mean, it's I, interesting because – oh, go ahead, Matt. Sorry. No, I, 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 I was just saying that, you know, I, I, I get all that. And I seem – I think that's like – that's very obvious to me at this point of, of Rory's sort of life and career. It's really all about trying to get it done under pressure. Like he, he's got to continue to try to uh, make up for past, you know, hiccups. And, but I think he's been poked. I think he's been poked. He's been uh, perturbed. He's, he's been reinvigorated or refocused in terms of the competitor in him. And, um, I think going back, you know, to the Canadian Open and, and you know, even watching him and and, and seeing him at a dare manner at the JP Pro-Am and, and knowing what all this means, I, I just get the sense that there's the, the, the childlike competitor in Rory has been, has been you know, uh, prodded. And, and I think that there seems to be an a, a, an extra layer of focus to him the last couple of weeks and it has a lot to do with live and it has a lot to do with the fight for competitive being annoyed he's he's annoyed by the fact that he's going through all this and i think he knows that the way to continue to silence all this and let his game do the talking he's as opposed to his talking doing the talking is a better way for him to go about his business. Yeah, that's really well said. I mean, coming into this year, the the, the backstory on Rory at the majors was he would get stage fright on Thursday, and he was he had all these terrible first rounds that kind of blew him out of, of the tournament. And he's conquered that. I mean, his three straight majors, he started with a really great round, put himself around uh, among the leaders. And he talked about this a little bit after his round. Now the challenge becomes Friday. It's backing up one great round with another because at both Southern Hills and the Country Club, he kind of retreated a little bit in the second round. And instead of taking the, the you know the tournament by the throat and really putting a stamp on it, um, you know he was, his play was a little defensive and a little soft in the second round. So now he has a new challenge. Can he keep going forward and can he build on this on this round? But. I thought it was impressive that he played with so much patience and restraint because, you know, Rory has so much firepower. He could he could try to overpower this golf course, but he he was very disciplined. Uh, he had a game plan and he stuck to it. And and when he got in trouble on a couple occasions, he just got himself out of trouble real quick, played semi-conservative shots. And um, and as you were saying, Matt, you know, Rory's lag putting was beautiful. And when, when you think about the strengths of his game, that's not something that gets mentioned very often. But 
he had he had some terrific two putts from 60 80 feet and um even some from off the green like on the road hole you know he was way short of that green he rolled it up there and, and saved par so it's exciting i mean as michael said it, it, there's still a lot of golf to go but um Roy's the right man at the right time and it would be a thrill if he can just keep himself in this until the bitter end and he doesn't have to do very much to do that tomorrow in other words tomorrow is not the round to put pressure on yourself I mean he's going to be playing late you know he had a good first round if he shoots 70 tomorrow it's it's terrific uh and I don't know what his mindset has been uh after you know these last three majors where he played first good round uh good first rounds but tomorrow he all he has, you know, Tiger used to say this forever. All he has to do is play Rory McIlroy golf. He doesn't do anything exceptional at all to just hang around, hang around, hang around, and then be there come come Sunday. Having said that, you got a lot of talent all over this golf course, including, you know, Scotty Shuffler and, you know, Cameron Smith. I mean, you know, Dustin, Dustin Johnson. John, I, I, that, Dustin hasn't been a factor in a long time. And um, I think, as with Rory, but in a different way, this live stuff has maybe um, stimulated Dustin in a way that he needed because he'd just been coasting. And for a guy who still has so much game um, to not even factor, uh, I mean, he's been winning. He's going on two years without even any kind of win anywhere. So um, for him for him to make a strong push, I mean, you would think if you make a list of guys that, that were born to win on this golf course, he would seem to be a – he'd be on that short list. So – um, he's a really intriguing name. Um, anyone else on the board that captures your eye, Matt? Well, Sahith Thigala. I mean, we were just we were just watching and gawking at him and his game. I, I mean, I just I just love the way he plays golf. I love that he wears Link Soul. He's out there in a, in, a, in one of my favorite Link Soul hoodies, uh, and he's at the old course. It's like he plays Goat Hill Park when he's in Oceanside, California. I, to go from Goat Hill Park and and Pepperdine to win the you know the Open Championship at the old course wearing a Link Soul hoodie. I like how can I not relate <laughs> relate to that? Uh, and I, I and he's he's got a lot of DJ in him just with his 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 length, his his stride, his presence, his demeanor. Uh, he's he's a really he's a really kind spirited guy. Uh, I watched DJ for eighteen holes at Adair and he did not miss a shot. He was hitting. He he played. He is he is hitting the golf ball. He is in total command of his game. In fact, he was reading his own putts. Um, he had his brother-in-law in the bag at at Adair, and it, it, you know I, I and again I mentioned that the that we had a caddy who could help him read putts, and and he he wasn't interested, and uh, he he could have shot eight under easily. And he missed a lot of short putts. So it's funny that his putting was off in terms of, I guess, maybe the reads. Um, for him to win this, obviously, his putting, he's going to have to have great reads and great putting. So, And he, he seems like kind of a classic Lynx player who's not so focused on mechanics and just hits shots. Like I, I saw him on the telecast play some really fun, tricky, spinny um, shots that – just showed a real flair and a real understanding of what you got to do out there. So that, that uh, I, you know, I haven't, I haven't seen as much of his game as I would like to this point, but from what I saw today, like he, he seems to get it. And um, you got you got to root for young players like that who, who just take on the challenge and they're, they're not playing track man golf and, 
and they're 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 just they're just making you know hitting golf shots. So that that was cool. He's having fun. A, a model for that, a model for that would be John Daly. Uh, John Daly and Dustin Johnson are actually very similar in a lot of ways. Mega mega talents. Uh, don't have their nose in the yardage book. Uh, uh, play by feel. Uh, do their own thing, and can't be dictated to. And uh, if John Daly could come here and win, and 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 win here on the old course. Uh, with savant-like skills, uh, I think Dustin Johnson could do the do the exact same thing. You don't have to do it, you know, the Jack Nicholas way or the uh, Louis Oosthuizen way, for that matter. Yeah. All right, let, let's talk about Tiger Woods because you guys last night were ready to anoint him the champion. I I kind of stayed quiet in that debate because I didn't <laughs> quite share your belief, but I didn't want to be Debbie Downer. Um, but you know it. <clears throat> There's going to be days when Tiger doesn't play well, but it was startling to watch him come out on the first hole um, and dump it in into the into the burn and make and then hit a hit a nice pitch and then you know basically whiff a three footer like that that double bogey was such a gut punch. Um, you know, there's some hard holes in the old course where bogey's fine, but number one's not is, is not a double bogey hole. And so, um, what what can we say about about Tiger's 76 today, which puts him in 145th place? He's still in it. He's still in it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Why is he still in it, Michael? Let's hear it. You know, he, he he's Tiger. I, I I agree with you, Alan, completely. That he has had over the course of his career a lot of bad first holes, including at Augusta National. You know, driving it crazily offline here. You know, to drive it in a divot hole or, you know, hit a foreign into a divot hole on a, on a perfect shot and then dump it in the burn. He said Augusta Wind hit it in his press conference afterwards. I don't know. Uh, it's hard to imagine there's a hard enough gust of wind that's going to prevent, you know, that it's going to knock the ball down 20 yards because you should be, you know, at least five yards uh, uh, past that hole. But Tiger Woods at the peak of his powers had so much mental strength. It would be impossible. Even with having the red ass of having your first shot finish in a divot, it would be almost impossible to imagine not keeping the ball dry and making a at worst a five. Uh, and then, of course, in his prime, he would have come back from the double bogey. And that takes mental resolve as much as anything. And how much mental resolve can any one person have? So, you know, it's uh, this game reveals your inner life like nothing can and i think we saw actually a glimpse of of tiger's inner life today and it's it's a tough place to be and i would just want to say this too but i mean he showed a lot of grace and a lot of class really coming in after the round and answering every last question which he has done pretty much his whole career but even today it was with like you know a little bit more uh almost definitely depth but also sort of wistfulness like I won't be doing this forever, and I sort of owe it to the game, just to explain myself. And I and I think he should get. I think he's. I mean, he does get credit for that, but he should get probably more. He, he, we just watched him walk up the 18th fairway, and he had driven it into the Valley of Sin, and then he three putted from there, almost four putted. I mean, drove. He hit that third putt by four four feet, maybe five five feet. Made a good putt coming back to save par. And doffed the cap and gave a nice little wave. He had a decent crowd uh, still still there, you know. But it was it was well past nine o'clock in the evening. There wasn't a crazy crowd, 
And it, I just was feeling a little sad that if if this is if this is it for him and the and the open on an afternoon, uh, late evening, um, it just looked sad. All of it, you know, it just he just looks broken. He does. And then when he, he's climbing up the, you know, it, I've noticed this a lot over the years, actually, but especially uh, since since the car crash. Uh, uh, he puts on a brave face in terms of his walk and, and his actual literal face. And then the second he's done, it sort of all comes washing out. And when he walked over that bridge that takes you from the 18th green to the, to the scorer's hut, scoring area, uh, the limp was much more pronounced immediately. And then when he was done with his press conference and he had to walk down four steps, you know, in his youth, of course, like any, you know, young person, he would have hopped down the steps and he's literally holding on to the, is it called the door jam, you know, the side of the door and sort of gingerly, understandably, carefully walking down these steps. So, you know, we're, we're seeing a guy with a lot going on in his life physically and emotionally, mentally. Yeah. And it was interesting because even early in the round, I mean, obviously when you, you take a double bogey on the first hole, and any human being that's going to be an emotional letdown. But I mean, his distance control was so off today. I mean, there was, he was coming up 20, 30 yards short with iron, you know, short irons in his hands. He flew some greens. I mean, you still get, you'll get hard bounces and you get run outs. It'll put you in weird spots, but he was doing it on the fly. It just felt like he didn't have any feeling in his hands and it certainly showed in his putting. I mean, his speed was off all day long and, um, these greens didn't really change overnight. I mean, he's been practicing on this speed and it just, it just kind of, he just didn't have it today. And, um, you know, Tiger is, is not immune to other emotions. You know, Rory talked about, um, you know, how keyed up he was for this round and you kind of have to get over that and just settle into playing golf. And we know how badly Tiger wanted it. He prepared so hard this week. I mean, he's pushed himself harder than it for any other round this season, really. And as far as the, the pre-tournament prep and, you know, it just, he may have, it's funny to say this about Tiger Woods. He may have been a little overwhelmed by the moment, you know, and, um, that's okay. It happens to every athlete, happens to every human, but, um, there, there is an element of, uh, melancholy because we know the end is, appears like it's near and everyone was hoping there'd be something special and something miraculous that he could summon on this golf course. It means so much to him, but he just didn't have it. I, Alan, I completely agree with that assessment. And I'll tell you why, because for years, like his whole career, he geared himself for, you know, 16 or 20, you know, maybe 24 rounds. And that was amazing how he would do that. But this year, he really was gearing himself for one round in particular, and that was today's round. I don't think he went to Augusta National thinking he had much of a chance. We saw what happened in Southern at Southern Hills. He didn't even play uh, in the U.S. Open at the, at the Country Club, and he was probably wise to do it. So the one thing he really needed to go well was this one round today to set up the Friday round, and it didn't. And I think you're right. I think, uh, you know, when your body is good and you're in every major and you know if this one doesn't work out, you got the next one. It's disappointing if you don't play well. But he doesn't have that. He had everything geared towards this one round. And I think um, just as, a, as, a, as an issue of mental frailty, uh, it is understandable. Now, Matt and I were saying yesterday, nobody gets – geared up and ready and primed to play meaningful rounds, let the legend grow rounds like Tiger Woods does, but life interferes. It's important to, to remember it's not just the leg. I mean, this is a guy who had five back surgeries before the car crash and, and compensating for the leg 
then, you know, if you're playing a lot of golf and you're compensating for the leg, that can cause a lot of other issues, not only, you know, not only in your swing, but just physically. So, uh, again, I think broken is probably the best word to describe him. He's 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 not right. Well, just very briefly, just beyond the physical issues. I mean, I know this is really harsh, but it is true. Something happened that morning that changed the course of his life. And it's a tragedy and we don't know what happened or why it happened or how it happened, but we know that it did happen. And he's an on, you know, presumably he's an honest person with himself. He must recognize that. So in addition to all the physical pain he's enduring, there has to be a tremendous amount of mental pain. It's like what happened on that day? And we don't know the answer and I'm not pretending I do. But we can imagine that Tiger must be asking that question because how could any sentient human being not pose that question to himself or herself? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a fender bender. He was traveling at an incredible rate of speed. I mean, there's an element of uh, recklessness or maybe something more than that that um, that has gone unaccounted for. You're right. And, um, so, so now Tiger tees off tomorrow right around 10 a.m. local time, which means he'll be finishing, call it 3.30, 3.45, uh, that's probably the peak of, of the day, right? Everyone who wants to be at this tournament is going to be there. Potentially an incredible scene on 18 if, you know, it looks pretty likely he's going to be missing the cut. I mean, we know Tiger is going to fight hard no matter what. He's not going to give up out there. And if he gets off to a hot start, then who knows? But um, let's let's just say, you know, it's clear he's not going to make the cut. And it's going to be an emotional moment because I think there's definitely a sense of farewell. He's probably never going to play another open at the old course, you know, in five, six, seven years. And um, that seems highly unlikely. And who knows if he'll ever make the plane flight over here again. Who knows if he's even going to turn up at next year's majors at all. I mean, there, there's so many unknowns for this guy. So I think everyone's sort of girding themselves for what's going to be uh, uh, some sort of goodbye tomorrow. We won't know how significant it is until you know, years from now, but it could be very much, you can imagine his personality type. If the two extremes are Hogan, who turned his back on tournament golf and Arnold Palmer, who couldn't do it. Obviously Tiger was by personality type is much closer to Hogan. So you're absolutely right, Alan. Uh, we don't know how meaningful this round tomorrow is going to be in terms of closing chapters. And we're talking about a golf course where he's now, you know, an honorary member of the RNA. And what he flat out says is his favorite golf course in the world. It's it's powerful stuff. It's poignant and it's moving and it's wistful. I know where I'll be tomorrow, uh, <laughs> tomorrow afternoon here in St. Andrews, which is processing all of it. I mean, my first week at Sports Illustrated as the golf photo editor, uh, 1996 Milwaukee Open. Uh, that was the first week that I that I became the official, you know, golf photo at our SI and we have Mark Mulvoy here and we all work together at SI and, and coming back to, you know, I'm, we're already wistful uh, over the fact that we're just here at this open and what it all means. <laughs> so the idea that Tiger may be, you know, taking that cap off one last time, waving goodbye to this crowd, waving goodbye to us, right? Waving goodbye to us, it, it, all of us um, uh, that has, as, that are here and who have made this journey or, or witnessing all this, it's that, I mean, uh, wow. It could, it's going to be a powerful moment. Uh, I remember Jack, I remember Arnie, remember Tom Watson and, um, <clears throat> you know, we'll, we'll be telling grandkids about, about being here t tomorrow. 
and it's incredible because those guys were in their 60s or older you know and and here's tiger who's uh <laughs> mid 40s but it's um it's just you know the the most dominant golfer of all time there's no question and i think there'll always be the sense of of what might have been if, if if things had gone differently away from the golf course but that's just that's part of what's what's made this last act so poignant is uh thinking about what could have been and what might have been and and making peace with what is i not just for tiger but for us when when he won here in 2005 uh you know i wrote the game story for si and i and i got he played the last round with a lothaball and i got a lothaball alone and lothaball's like this guy should win opens at the old course forever because he's just too good and too smart and that seemed right but then there was also dan jenkins who said the only thing that can stop him is a bad marriage or a bad back well <laughs> not both those things could be correct and <laughs> You know, we don't know the answer yet, but we can see the direction that it's going. Still cheers going on behind me. It's 10, 10. I heard that too. Live golf right now. I've now, I've now changed rooms. Uh, this has been a, an interesting open for me logistically, but if I look out my window, I can see the top of the press tent and I can, um, I can get a little glimpse of the bay and I heard those cheers as well. So I, I don't have quite the visual you do, but I, I've got the ambient noise. It's amazing. <laughs> so cool. So, yeah, I can. Yeah, beautiful sunset too. I mean, the pink clouds. What what a time to be out on the golf course. I mean, the poor Irish kid who had the, like the four twelve tee time. He's uh, he's playing under, playing through quite a scene out there. You know um, what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna tomorrow morning. I'm gonna hook up my microphone. I'm gonna stick it out my window. That's uh, not a euphemism for anything other than I'm just literally gonna stick my <laughs> microphone out the window <laughs> and I'm gonna record the start of tomorrow's play and we can play that as part of tomorrow night's podcast i love that i love that all right well i think i think it's best to end on this wistful moment um <laughs> we'll see i mean he's still tiger woods he, he might have so much red ass he'll shoot 68 tomorrow and make the cut by you know two strokes <laughs> like it's anything's possible but um you know that that's what makes that's what makes this game fun I mean, anything can happen so uh, any any final thoughts michael you know i, I it's an interesting comment because i think that he played angry golf and hard golf and hit it hard golf and it worked really well at Augusta National. And then he had the ability to change speeds and make the pitch shots and the chip shots and the putting. But here, that's not going to work because uh, now, we, I mean, you know, Rory played a 600-yard par, par five with a driver and a wedge. But this course right now is fiddly, as, as Rory says, and requires so much finesse. There's no overwhelming this golf course with strength or red ass or anything other than real really patience uh uh and i think we're going to see that you know for the next for the next three days well i can't wait i, I wonder you know eight under today do we think do, do we think the winning score based on sort of what's happening i guess it's really just all just a matter of the wind right i mean that's the only that's the only thing but i you know something around 11 12 under 10 under could potentially win it is that what is that what we're thinking it, it could, especially if, if the weekend winds are, are strong, which has been forecast in some places. I mean, again, no disrespect to Cam uh, Young, but let's say let's say Rory's, Rory's a de facto leader. You know, if he shoots three or four under tomorrow, that's a great score. That gets him to nine or ten, and then you know, five under total on the weekend would be amazing if you're in the leads up. So, Michael, 
excuse me, Michael and I said 15. That was this morning when we were just kind of BSing. I think that's a, that's a great number. Um, and, but it, it is so weather dependent. I will say the RNA, they've, they trotted out some new pin placements. Even guys have played this course a lot in tournament rounds that haven't seen. Um, I think that they're recognizing how short it's playing. They're going to use all the humps and hollows and swales on the greens for defense. And there's gonna be some very, very challenging pins, which is fine by me. I mean, um, you know, it's, uh, you got to do something to make it interesting. If they're going to have short irons, you can't just give them easy pins. So, um, who knows? I, mean, I, I think I think anything from twelve to eighteen is in play. It just depends on the wind. The uh, you know the, I I forget when we uh, how often some like, some guys play the Dunhill Links here every year and they really really know this golf course. And I sort of forget that because we're not here very often. And uh, Rory, of course, is one of the one of those guys. Uh, Dustin Johnson is too to to a lesser degree. Uh, so I think it's like Augusta National in that way where experience does count for a lot, even though guys have won their first time here as well. Um, uh, so I think we're going to see a very elite leaderboard. Uh, you know, it, we already have a good leaderboard. We'll have a better leaderboard by the end of Friday or, you know, a, a leaderboard with more familiar names. And that's only going to increase over the weekend. You know, decades ago, Colin Montgomery told me he had a formula for choosing the winning score. You take the first round lead, you double it and you add one. So eight under times two, that's 16 plus one is 17 under. So that would be Colin's very unscientific method. He said it's remarkably accurate. I've never actually done the math on that. But um, so anyway, I, that's what's fun is not knowing, right? Like, because <laughs> if the temperature drops and the wind comes up, it's just a survival test. And if the wind dies, then it's, it's guys are going to attack and it changes hour to hour. So it's kind of <laughs> foolhardy to predict, but that's the business we're in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, mm. uh, I am going to bed early tonight. At early in terms of the 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 standards of of the or the the precedent that's been set throughout the the, the pacing <laughs> of of my my travels in the last two and a half weeks. Um, and uh, I promise to have a ton more energy tomorrow. And looking forward to uh, walking some more golf with you guys and and uh, taking it all in and and watching what's going to happen. Cer- most certainly with both Tiger and Rory. Matt, don't be surprised if the first name you hear tomorrow morning is Mark Kalkovecchia. Because <laughs> he's, he's in that first group, and I think they'll give uh, – well, I don't really know how it works in the second round, but, uh, but typically if you've got a, uh, an open champion winner in the threesome, he gets the honor on Thursday for sure. I don't know if that would, if that would apply for Friday. But anyway, you're, you'll, you'll hear the, uh, the long American name Mark Kalkovecchia at some point uh, between 6.30 and 6.30, 6.35 and 6.40 tomorrow morning or eight hours from now, as we like to say. Love it. I love it. But before we go, let's uh, let's tip our caps to our sponsors who help us um, come to these tournaments and bring all this fun coverage to golf fans. So thank you to Link Soul, um, to Seed Golf, um, great little golf ball company from this side of the Atlantic. Um, Parpoints, our OGs, uh, our favorite scoring app. Uh, and and the Rustics Hotel, who uh, have, have been very gracious in their hospitality. We ate dinner in dinner there tonight. It was it was quite a view from up there on that that rooftop deck, and uh, they've been taking good care of Matt all week. So um, we, we appreciate that. And of course, to you, the listeners, you're you're the most important part of this whole deal. Thanks for tuning in. We will uh, be back at you after the second round. This is Alan Shipnuck. That was Michael Bamberger and Matt Janella. This was another Fire Drill podcast uh, from St. Andrews. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.
another log on the fire Nobody here is getting tired 